startups, startups of the week. When you're funding, funding is on fleek. When your business model could not be more chic, get on startups, startups of the week. Hey guys, welcome to Startups of the Week season three. I'm Sophia Kanthara, and I'm here with Owen Thomas. Hey there. And Alex Wilhelm. Hey guys. And this week, we'll tell you about a company that just got some new funding after nearly five years, a company that makes it easier to find a mechanic, and a startup that was founded by the former CEO of Zenefits. That's all coming up on Startups of the Week. So first up this week, we've got Ignite, which is a Mountain View-based startup that announced recently that they received $75 million in new funding from Goldman Sachs. And actually, this is the first time that they've received funding in nearly five years. Their last round was in November 2013. Well, that's really interesting because normally you see companies maintain a steady flow of of new funds, uh, even you know even if they're doing well, even if they're growing, making money, right, Alex? You know, there's there's kind of this thing that you're either you're fundraising or mm-hmm. what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So this round kind of came out of nowhere. I've covered Ignite for far too long. I don't want to admit how long it's been because that makes me sound old. But to see them raise this amount of money at this time was, was a surprise. One note is that this is more money than they've raised or had raised to date at the time. So they more than doubled their total capital base um, and Owen's right. So most companies raise on roughly an 18-month cadence. So if you're a startup and you raise your Series A, you're probably going to raise your Series B in about a year and a half. You raise, you spend, you grow, and you raise again. So to see a five-year gap was surprising. But what I want to throw in and why this story is interesting, uh, to me at least, is that Ignite, unlike a lot of other companies that are kind of in the B2B SaaS market, which is kind of software for other companies, they uh, well, Alex. Yeah, go for it, Owen. Uh, let's back. Let's back up. This, sure. So the company it's spelled E G N Y T E. Yes. If anyone wants to look it up, and what do they do? Yeah. So they were traditionally part of the E F S S space. More acronyms. What that means is is enterprise file sync and share. So if you think about companies like Box that are built to help corporations keep track of all of their documents and all their files, and way back in the day. Um, Ignite was kind of in the same category as Box and Dropbox. Now, they've kind of moved more towards like uh, document control and building products that let corporations set permissions around things to prevent like theft and that sort of thing. Um, but they're in that kind of enterprise sassy space, if you will. So they're, they're software as a service. They're provided over the cloud. Um, and they've, they've kind of gotten more sophisticated than just a place to stash your files. They're doing permissions. So in other words, like not just where are our files, but do the right people have access to them and that kind of thing. Precisely. And and their differentiator back in the day, back when, you know, cloud storage was still a thing that people weren't sure if it was going to work because people were like, no, I want to hold on to my files. Ignite back then was a hybrid provider. They would let you keep some stuff on-prem, some stuff in the cloud. That's now almost a historical detail. Um, but why the company was so fascinating to me throughout history is that it, it it was always not spending as much money as its rivals. So while Box would go out and raise $100, $150 million and push that through its sales operation, Ignite ran much leaner. And that's how it managed to keep growing um, over that five-year period. It didn't raise um, and stay alive. Most startups can't survive five years without external capital. They can't survive two. So to see Ignite go five was super interesting. And then to raise $75 million from Goldman Sachs at the end of that is just fascinating. 
Um, so I thought it was a, a kind of a cool moment for a company we haven't talked about on the show yet. Uh, but now that they're back in the news, maybe we will a couple more times. So I, I, I don't think of Goldman Sachs as, you know, a company that makes its money investing in startups. You generally see Goldman Sachs make a move like this because they see some investment banking money in the future. In other words, an IPO. Is that in the cards, Alex? Yeah, I think so. So Ignite uh, in the last 18 months has announced uh, free cash flow positivity for a certain period of time. They've announced uh, little bits of gap profit. So they've reached some kind of corporate maturity benchmarks or milestones that put them in good keeping for an IPO. But Owen, you're you're right that traditionally this sort of investment would be kind of teeing up a, um, a, a lucrative IPO deal later on. But I think we're seeing companies like Goldman just simply be more active as investors as the market gets more competitive. And I don't know if that's a sign of like the bubble, um, but it's certainly something that we've seen more and more. On the corporate VC side, iBanks that are traditionally not active are more active in writing kind of primary investments. So it's something to keep an eye on if you're listening. Sophia, you spoke to Ignite CEO Vinay Jain. What did he have to say about the funding? So he said that um, this round of funding, he did say, like, you know, it's been a while, November 2013. But he said this will primarily be used for R&D, research and development. And he also mentioned, I I did ask him, like, how do you plan or like, what's your growth like? How do you expect or where do you expect that to go? And he said that the company's been having over 30 percent top line year of the year, year over year growth. And he thinks that, that with this new funding, it could be in the high 40s. Wow. So, so. he thinks that the the funding will kind of uh, turbocharge its growth rate, which makes Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Especially uh, in, a, in a software as a service or SaaS business, you often need to spend ahead of revenues. You mm-hmm. have to acquire customers. Then they start paying you on you know a monthly or annual basis. And if you have a good product, they renew. Yeah. So that investment in customer acquisition can pay off. Um, and it sounds like they're pretty confident that they kind of have that formula where they can put a little bit of gas in the engine and um, and speed up that revenue growth. Yeah, and he did mention also with this new funding, um, another focus besides R&D is he wants to focus on um, on the customer after the sale and maintaining that relationship and have it... In- have customers look at them not just as a vendor but as a partner and so he said he called it taking a a page from amazon's playbook and focus on that like customer success the customer success yeah the customer success thing is kind of a big concept um and it just basically means making sure the customer is happy so that they Mm -hmm. again that they continue to subscribe and pay those fees Mm -hmm. So um, sounds sounds like he's got a pretty good plan. What do you think, Alex? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm just going to be kind of curious when the S1 drops. S1 is the the document you file with the SEC when you're going to go public because, you know, I've, I've just written enough about Ignite over the years that I just want to see all the numbers now. You know, I feel like I, <laughs> I don't want to write another story about this company as a private company. I want to get the full dossier of information. I want to fully grok where they're at. And I want to write that story. So uh, if they could hurry up and go public, I would be thankful. Uh, but I feel like I, I've brought us down this enterprise rabbit hole. So, Sophia, why don't you take us to uh, something a little bit more consumery? What's next? Okay. So, up next, we have a startup called Your Mechanic, which is basically a service that helps connect car owners to mechanics. Um, so, it's kind of, or it's a trend that we see a lot where we're, you know, like Rover, the app, or you connect dog owners to dog sitters, that kind of thing. Um, and this, um, it's in the news because it received $10.1 million in new funding. One of their investors and advisors is actually the former uh, CEO of General Motors. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Now, um, Sophia, I actually remember these guys. They were at TechCrunch Disrupt, I want to say, in 2012. So uh, have they, you know, have they been kind of just quietly building the business all this time? 
Yeah, so they did not respond to my interview request, but they did put out a lot of information um, about their new round of funding. But, you know, they've expanded to more than, they said they have mechanics in more than 5,000 cities across the U.S. and Canada. Um, they have, you know, customer base is in rental, rideshare, you know, the government markets and corporate markets. So they've been expanding pretty fast. Oh, that's fascinating. I didn't think about that, but in ride hailing services, if you're an Uber driver or a Lyft driver and your car is out of service, you are out of business until, Mm -hmm. until Mm -hmm. it gets fixed. Yeah. And honestly, so something I hear a lot about, about, you know, with rideshare is like, you're adding a lot of miles to your car. You're going to have to go in for maintenance quite I, I would think more often. So this is really good for, I guess, that sector. Yeah, and, and especially to get that quick quick fix and mm-hmm. start rolling again and start uh, start making money. Yeah, because one thing, you know, that comes with car ownership is, is maintenance, not just like when something breaks, but the continual like getting your oil changed, getting it serviced. So they provide a lot of different services and they make it easy for a car owner to connect to a mechanic pretty easily. Yeah, I, I think this is another example. You know, they won TechCrunch Disrupt many years ago. They're just now raising um, more funding. I don't know how recent their, their previous round was, but it's a relatively small amount. It shows, it shows you that not every company in Silicon Valley is kind of linear up and to the right. Sometimes it's a, it's a longer path to success. Mm-hmm. Speaking of success stories and kind <laughs> of nonlinear paths, uh, Sophia, I think you're, uh, yeah, I think our third company is an interesting tale. It is. So our third company um, for this week is Rippling, which you may or may not have heard of, but you've probably heard of the founder. It's founded by Parker Conrad, who is the former CEO of Zenefits. Now, Parker Conrad is one of those names. It's kind of like Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos, you know, like you you, you almost <laughs> hear rude. Uh, a foreboding tone, dun, dun, dun. Um, right. You can play the Darth Vader theme music. <laughs> so Parker Conrad, uh, if you don't know the story... Owen history button activated. What the heck is going on? Parker Conrad, uh, if you don't know the story, was the CEO and uh, co-founder of Zenefits. It was a company that was very innovative, especially in its business model. It collected fees from companies when it uh, brokered health insurance plans for their employees, and then it provided for free service to onboard those employees. So Silicon Valley really loved this, you know, this like twist on the usual business model because you you didn't have to ask companies to pay directly for the service you're providing. Um, the problem is that um, that Parker Conrad took a lot of shortcuts along the way, particularly with training his insurance reps. They sold insurance without the right licenses. They actually cheated on insurance testing by using software that helped their reps um, uh, essentially pretend that they were in front of a uh, an online course, you know, kind of clicking along. And uh, instead of taking the however many hours of training, they were doing something else while the software was pretending to, to uh, get trained. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of bad stuff. Zenefit had to, Zenefits had to pay million, millions of dollars in fines. Um, and Conrad, uh, you know, was essentially fired um, or ousted from the company. Um, but he's back doing something very similar. <laughs> which, so, yeah. 
so yes, he's back. He's doing, it is again, a kind of like employee, or this is a little bit different. Um, so he calls it an employee management system. It's called Rippling. Um, and basically how it works is so, you know, when you hire a new employee off in a business, they, you have to set the new employee up in a lot of different ways. You have to, besides, you know, their email, payroll, all the HR stuff, but also IT stuff. This makes it so it's all in one centralized, you know, location. So if you hire an employee, you can, um, so if you hire an employee, for example, to the Chronicle, it not only sets up all of their email accounts, but it also sets up their security card. So, you know, they have access to where they're supposed to have access, sets up their our content management system, all of that kind of stuff. To be and, clear, the Chronicle is not actually a rippling customer. We no, are, we're not. <laughs> we are owned by Hearst. And so we use big, boring enterprise software to accomplish all this. But if you're <laughs> if you're a startup, you don't have that enterprise software and you generally you probably want something a little simpler to manage. Yeah, and this makes it easy also so if you know someone gets promoted, if someone gets fired, you can have you can make those changes just once and it goes across all systems. Um so it kind of simplifies everything, makes everything kind of central. And they announced that next week they're going to be launching what they call um, Rippling for Accountants, which is um, where accountants can have access to, you know, all their Rippling clients all in one centralized place and have a calendar reminder of, you know, today we got to pro- we have to process this person's payroll, like that thing. Which is super smart. I mean, mm-hmm. I have worked at some small startups and honestly, the accountant becomes kind of the default HR person because they have to get that person paid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so they're tied up with a lot of paperwork, you know, for for smaller companies, probably say, you know, in the, you know, less than 20 employee range mm-hmm. um, that are leaning on an accountant for a lot of this work. This is going to be a godsend, a big time saver. Yeah. And, and it's a smart channel, too. If, you know, if essentially you can get these accountants to recommend Rippling to clients, um, then, uh, you know, then that's a big win for Rippling because it essentially has these people kind of functioning like their sales force. Yeah. And so he was saying, uh, he's, the way he put it was like, for small companies, this is the like digital equivalent of taking out the trash where, I mean, all of these kind of tasks do add up and they can become very, um, they can take up a lot of time. And with Rippling, you can do it all at once and make sure everything's updated across all these different platforms and softwares. So Sophia, I'm curious, did Parker talk at all about his his past experiences? Was he repentant? Did he say mistakes <laughs> were made or anything like that? Uh, no, we did not talk about that. Um, I did ask about the, you know, are they going to be handling insurance kind of stuff? Um, and he said that you um, companies can manage and administer their company's insurance benefits through Rippling. Um, however, currently, um, you can't have Rippling as the insurance broker. And and did he say, like, absolutely not, never? Or did he leave the door open? No. So he uh, he left it a little bit open where he said, you know, you can, you know, connect your insurance to Rippling and keep your broker and just pay for the administration. So I asked, like, but can you have Rippling as your broker? And he said, we haven't an- announced anything on that front yet. Which is <laughs> which is fascinating to me. Alex, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's I if I were in issues, I would say, no, we're staying a million miles away from that just to avoid the, you know, the comparison, the callbacks to all of their problems with complying with insurance regulations. Do you think he's... Yeah, you, you know. I, I mean, this is Silicon Valley. You know, it, it's the only place in the world where you can go try something, fail, break the law, get fired, and then kind of roll out of bed and do it again. And you know what? I, I, say, that, I say that as a joke, but also as, as, as a compliment. So I think there, there's a lot of discussions you, we could bring up here about like white male privilege when it comes to Parker and all that. But 
you know, I do like that in Silicon Valley, you can fail and go again. Now, I'm not saying that this is the best example of that, but I would be surprised if they didn't dive back into what he's already worked with and um, and, and build that in later on. Um, also, one good rule in Silicon Valley is just never be surprised about anything. Um, and then you'll save yourself a lot of time. But um, I know we're running a little bit long. I wanted to throw one more thing in the mix about Rippling. Uh, I was reading uh, before the show um, a TechCrunch article about it, and it, they said something very interesting. They said it's a replacement for Okta. Now, Okta, if you don't know, it's now a public company that handles identity, essentially who you are inside of different software systems. And that's really boring. But what matters is Okta is incredibly highly valued on the public markets. And so that means that public investors are really putting a lot of worth behind that business. And so if Rippling is working in that space, that could drive investor interest, that can drive a higher valuation for the company. So it's an interesting thing to see. Um, but I, 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 you know, it's super early to tell where Rippling is going to end up, but that did catch my eyes, potential path, uh, for the company to keep fundraising, even if the market does perhaps slow down, uh, in 2019. It does seem like they've got, uh, you know, a good portfolio of services where, um, you know, it's not just the onboarding insurance sign up, all that they've got payroll, this identity management thing you refer to Alex is, really interesting IT management. They're they're actually in a lot of different sectors, but they are promising something that looks very simple to smaller businesses. And so that may give them an edge because a lot of these services right now are kind of sold in like big clunky ways to big clunky businesses. And if they can get, you know, if they can get a wider market, um, then uh, they could do very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree with that entirely, but it's a cool thing to link together if it does work. And if it doesn't work, we'll all forget about it. So there you go. Well, maybe they'll come back on uh, uh, forthcoming startups of the week. Thank you for listening to Startups of the Week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a rating and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Read more startups coverage at sfchronicle.com. And crunchbase.news. I'm Sophia Kanthara. I'm Owen Thomas. And I'm Alex Wilhelm. And this is Startups of the Week. Startups of the Week.